Welcome to the Mythic Life Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Brummett, and in this episode, we are exploring the creative and alternative lifestyles of guests who are finding their own path through careers as healers, artists, teachers, along with exploring topics in the personal development space and developing intuition and metaphysical gifts. A mythic life is free from the constraints of old stereotypes, led by the adventurous soul that is striving for joy, fulfillment of purpose, and the quest for higher growth and connection. A person who believes there is more than meets the eye, that pursues personal development, alternative medicine, and lifestyles that are wanting to break free of societal norms and explore their mystical abilities. There's greatness within everyone and a soul desiring for joy. Today, we are exploring breaking free of the old archetypes of money and the stereotypes of sales, along with the adventures of a family that can take you all over the map. Welcome to the Mythic Life Podcast. Caitlin and Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to have you on. Caitlin and Michael are very dear friends to Sarah and I and have been a huge support in our growth pathway to this mythic life. When Sarah first met you, uh, she was doing the Bold Heart program and uh, was really learning how to go into that path of business. You know, we launched our center in New York City, absolutely knowing nothing of what business is. Just healers going, we'll figure it out. And we definitely paid our dues and then finally was like, we need some guidance here. We need some help. Honestly, I was the biggest resistance in being open to help. And I think a lot of healers face that of like, I'm a healer. I'm the one of service. I can't open up to receiving help myself. And Sarah's like, no, we need this help. And she's like, look, they're this couple. They're doing this little thing of love and money. And they're working with couples that are entrepreneurs and they're really going to help us. I was like, okay, cool. That sounds good. I remember when we first started working with you and you were supporting us and coaching us, we are in absolute financial crisis. We are doing so amazing in the way of like teaching classes and helping people. But honestly, we were struggling. We were facing huge overheads and team members that weren't working well and separating from a business partner and having you light us up and remind us of the importance of the work and how to connect with people was absolutely incredible. And so I'm just so thrilled to have you here today. Caitlin and Michael have been traveling the world with their three children, exploring over 25 countries in 18 months, homeschooling and exploring all these cultures and all these continents around the world while simultaneously being just nonstop entrepreneurs. Caitlin has her MBA. She has ran sales and supported incredible people from Deepak Chopra to Fabian Fredrickson, Ali Brown, Mastine Kip, really powerful leaders in this world. So it's thrilling to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Eric. I know. Uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's it's been incredible watching the journey that that you guys have been on. Just like you said, going from that uh, going from the healer who uh, just 
it doesn't matter how good you are at healing others. It doesn't necessarily mean you know how to run a business. So that's a, that's a big <laughs> yeah. difference there. Yeah. It is, you know, we're always in that path of, of learning and growing and needing to find new ways. And I'd love to hear more of your story of coming together and launching into this pathway of entrepreneurship, getting your MBA, but then going, I'm going to do my own thing. What sparked that for you two? <laughs> well, when I married Michael, I, I had to leave my career. Uh, I was commuting to finish my master's degree, moved up to the high desert to become a stay-at-home stepmom. And everything, the trajectory I was going on was just cut off when I married Michael. And so there was a lot of floundering in those first couple of years. Like I just brought on $100,000 worth of educational debt and now I can't have a career. So that's what sort of sparked this entrepreneurial experience. It was actually my need to contribute financially. Um, at the time, it was sort of a, a broken and neurotic need to produce income, but we'll take it, right? <laughs> whatever, whatever pushes you in the right direction. So I tried everything. I did my residential care facility administrator license. We looked into real estate. I was at one point making little clay bear figurines. I was teaching art classes. You name it, we probably tried it as an entrepreneurial experience. And finally, I was like, well, I've got this MBA. It clearly, I should be able to teach people how to start businesses and like run them. Did not have any clue how naive and out of my element I was, but I started anyway. So I launched business consulting and hired a coach. And it was really that act of hiring a coach that shifted things because we were already broke. We had like maxed out our credit cards, used up our savings. And he wanted me to invest like the most amount of money I had ever invested myself outside of my education. And it was that back against the wall moment where it's like do or die. I'm using my my husband's retirement account to fund my dreams. I better figure this out. And that coach connected me with my first business partner and we started virtual coaching sales. And from that point of I don't have any money, I need to make this work in the next that first 33 months, we made our first million dollars. So that that was a really powerful impetus to step into like, well, I guess to step out of my comfort zone and into my mythic life and really start producing income around my dream to find a life, like the life that I envisioned. And it's crazy because through Caitlin's educational experience, she learned so many things, right? A master's in business administration. But one thing that they did not teach anything on beyond, I think there might be like one small part of your course around sales. And yeah. it's incredible. I feel like the education system lacks just that primary touch points with the world, right? Like kids don't learn anything about finances in, in most schools. The business degree, you can get it without knowing anything about sales, which is such a huge part of being a business owner uh, or even managing businesses, right? So, so there was still a journey through realizing and, and understanding and kind of crafting her skill around, around the sales. So you really face this back against the wall that forced out of that comfort zone. I think that's something that can really be a very powerful manifestation sometimes. How do we really hear when we are on the right path and what that path needs in the way of tools and this sense of like the hero's journey in that way, like there's the calling, right? That instinct of wanting to 
move in a certain direction. And it sounds like you were trying all these different ways, but like everywhere you turned, it was like, it wasn't creating, it wasn't manifesting, really being pushed to that place of, I need help and turning to a coach was such a huge place. And then that challenge from your coach of taking that next step in that way, what do you feel was really coming through? What do you feel was really speaking to more that fulfillment in your heart of, we need to explore this element of sales and we need to move in that direction? Well, it's interesting because you were talking about kind of when you know things are happening and Michael and I I've realized if you don't listen to the whispers, the whispers become shouts. And then until finally the universe is hitting you over the head with a two by four. So a couple years into this journey, uh, I had Cora and then I was about to have Jackson, my business partner and I had split amicably. And I was now like, go big or go home time. And I was like, honey, I need you to come home. We'd used uh, Jackson's baby bonding time to test what it would look like to have both of us working in the business full time. And then you want to tell the story, like uh, <laughs> getting hit over the head by a two by four? <laughs> and, um, yeah. So we were kind of testing uh, how it would work if we both worked it from home on the business. Uh, and, and it was great, right? We we worked well. We make an incredible team. Like we just have complementary skills. And um, we decided after the baby bonding time was over that this trial period, we were like, okay, yes, it's it, it's amazing. But just a little bit more money in our savings account. A like little bit a, more safety. A little bit more safety and security, right? Like there, there's just that we hadn't quite let go of, of the old to accept the new. And so I went back to work and literally my second day on the job, I got held up at gunpoint. And I literally have security footage of a gun to my head opening the safe. And, and it, it was just like the, this moment of the universe saying, okay, like we tried to ease you into this. We tried to give you the, the step, the push in the right direction. And we still said no. And so that was literally just two by four to the head. Like, uh, you know, okay, that day I put in my two weeks notice, I quit the job and came home full time where, where we've been working together ever since. Wow. <laughs> divine intervention sometimes isn't so divine. gunpoint. This path, I mean, you two have been working together as a couple, husband, wife, having kids, and then doing this entrepreneurship path together for quite a while now. What What's the greatest challenges in working together as a couple? Yeah, Jackson's turning nine in two weeks. So we've been together full-time entrepreneurs, business and life partners for nine years. Well, life's longer than that, but well, business. Yeah. We've, been, we've been married for over 14. Let's see the hardest challenge. I think the thing that we always joke about is when you're doing everything together, we are together 24-7. We're either homeschooling together or we're working together. The thing that we find is when we start getting into conflict, the when answer... start to feel friction. Yeah, when we start to feel friction, it's time for us to spend more time together, not less time together. And so we need to go out on a date. We need to take a weekend off. We just went up to Tahoe uh, to do a mastermind together. And that space away from work, that space away from kids really is what's necessary for us to reconnect to ourselves and to one another. And to our vision, right? Our the, vision. The, kind of that intentional time spent uh, together and envisioning what we want to create. I mean, we, we've done some pretty incredible things. I mean, traveling the world uh, right now with our kids and 
I feel like we we've come so far. <laughs> I look at the di- the difference in the decision that we made, you know, 10 years ago when it was getting out, hit in the head by a two by four by the universe telling me to quit my job to now. I mean, you know, we, we worked through the process of being able to travel the world and uh, we, we didn't have to get hit in the, in the head by a two by four for this one, but just realizing that, that we still have more things that we want to do, right? Our, our vision is always growing and getting bigger and encompassing more things, but we have to spend that time together separate from the kids and the business and all these kind of, you know, crazy can be uh, different uh, kind of erratic energies uh, and really just get focused on, on what's important to us. That's beautiful. I, I love that, that it's not like, oh, we need to take space, that it's coming together and feeding that life force into the relationship. And then for the last 18 months, you've been traveling on top of this. What has it been like seeing the world during this post-pandemic, still pandemic phase of, of life? How has it been traveling? Yeah, we we kind of joke. It's it's the best of times and it's the worst of times. <laughs> so so traveling during during the pandemic has been. We've always kind of had that. July of 2021 was our our go date. Like that, we knew that's when we wanted to. My oldest son will have graduated from high school. Bradley, who's our youngest, would be five and kind of you know at a point where he's going to remember the travels and that kind of thing. So that was always kind of our go point and. COVID happened right in the middle of our planning and strategizing how we were going to make it happen. Uh, but we still stuck to that as, as our go date. But it's it's been incredible in some ways, right? So we climbed the the Mayan pyramids down in, in Mexico and Guatemala, and we would literally be the only people in the park just experiencing this uh, incredible uh, historical and just energetic feeling of being in these places. Uh, sometimes as the only people in, in the whole park, which was which was incredible. Mm-hmm. But then in other ways, uh, you know, traveling, trying to find our, our way through airports. I mean, uh, spending hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars on COVID tests, the PCR tests, and yeah. getting trapped in airports. We spent five days in the South Korean airport. Oh my goodness! Thailand wouldn't let us in because we didn't have the right paperwork, and it was just yeah. So there were some logistical challenges, but seeing the world while it was still shut down, it was like we were walking the streets of Bangkok almost empty. And then even just a month after when they people started coming into Thailand again, the streets were crowded again and it was it was bustling. And so I think we got a really unique glimpse of the world at a slower momentum. Uh, and that was a really unique perspective that I don't think our kids will be able to replicate when they travel on their own in the future. Yeah. And to give that experience to your kids and take them on that adventure of homeschooling is really beautiful. I I was always raised with the best way of learning and really maturing as a person is through travel, Mm -hmm. really experiencing the diversity of life and cultures was huge. And and out of that philosophy and, and moral that my my parents embrace, they, they would take us on trips and we would travel and leave the country and stuff. But then during my freshman year of high school, just after my dad passed away, I was put into a a school called global youth Academy, where we would travel to satellite places as this tiny little school, and then stay with families and go to their schools and experience the culture there. And we went through, you know, South Africa and all over the U S and And 
that was still to this day, I think something that I learned more than in any class possible, just experiencing other places and that adventure of it. What inspired you to, to do this huge concept of all over the map? You know, it's it's sort of developed slowly. So at first we were reading a book called Vagabonding and that sounded fun, like go and do it for a summer, right? And then come back. So first we were just going to go spend some time down in Mexico. Then we we're like, well, we could get an RV and we could just drive to the tip of South America. Then we discovered the Darien Gap. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. Can't, you can't drive across the isthmus. So we're like, okay, great. So then it was like, well, what if we saw... 24 cities in 24 months. And then we started mapping out what those 24 cities would be. And we're like, okay, how about 60 countries in 36 months, right? It was just, the (laughs) world is so big. (laughs) And we're like, well, we can't not see India. Like we've got to add India to the list. So it's just, it was one of those things where you just kept, it's like, who are you not going to invite to your wedding, right? You just keep adding, the guest list keeps getting longer. And uh, and now all of that planning has sort of gone to hell in a handbasket. I think it was Patton who said planning is essential, but plans are useless, right? We did all the planning work. And then when we got on the road, it was just who has the most lax COVID restrictions. All right. Let's we'll go allow us to come. Yeah. Like we didn't plan to go to Cambodia, but when we were stuck in South Korea, that's the only country that would take us. So we went to Cambodia and had a fabulous time. So you never know where life's going to lead you, but we always trust that everything is always working out for us. We always find meaningful growing experiences and beautiful humans wherever we go. So it there we've just learned that there's no like the agenda is kind of written in pencil, but God always has the eraser. Yeah. And I think really, I mean, so how did we decide to do it? We, we get asked that all the time. And and it really comes down to we started with with a tiny vision, right? Like we could just go spend a, a month in Mexico and and just kind of expanded, expanded, expanded it came down to like, why not? Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we were, we got to a point where during the pandemic, I mean, we'd already planned on doing these things. And then for the first three or four months of the pandemic, our kids school shut down because we were, we were sending them to a private school and we were like, well, shoot, if we're going to homeschool anyways, and we're going to run our business and we're doing it in Apple Valley, California, right? Like we can do it from anywhere. We can do it from Buenos Aires. We can do it from Bangkok. We could do it from yeah, literally any place in the world that we have internet. And so that was just kind of reaffirming at that point, even though we were already making plans and moving in that direction, just the fact that the energy was already there. We had already created it and just looking bigger and allowing our vision to get bigger with it. Yeah. I think that's a really good point is that when you make a commitment to do something, you will see, you will see signs supporting, like the universe will conspire to support you, but like COVID, right? Some people could have seen that as an excuse and a reason to stay home, we used as an excuse and a reason to do what we wanted to do. So the interpretations of the signs, right, that's entirely up to you. Uh, The omens will be what the omens be, but you get to decide what they mean. So create like you as the decision maker for your life says like, I'm going to do this. Now remaining flow into how you do this. Great. I I love being in surrender to the universe and, and how that manifests but the will, the desire, the focus, the intention, that's committed. And once it's committed, magic shows up. Yeah. 
Yeah, we can get into the whole metaphysical conversation around once you make a decision, you'll start to see the things that support that decision in the universe, things that were always there, but you were, were just not in your energetic field until you make a decision and boom, there they are showing you that you can. And not only that, you can make it bigger. Yeah. And when that decision is made too, because there's the creative consideration where you think you're making a decision. And then when the actual commitment is made, you know, that first instinct of like, oh, I'd love to do that. But then the subconscious pops up with all of its fears and limitations of, oh, well, can I afford it? Oh, can I afford the time? I, I don't know about that. Oh, my kids need to be in school. Like all these types of restrictions and restraints that are projected at us from whatever it is, if it's culture, if it's our friends and family, if it is our insecurities and survival. So that sense of commitment really is at what level of action? Like when, mm -hmm. when did it become an actualization versus just a concept? Really great question. I feel like I'm trying to feel into it because we, we have like a unique ability to just decide we're going to do something and we do it. I, uh, we both are very strong willed people and together we're unstoppable and we believe that wholeheartedly. Um, so we're like, yeah, let's do a TV show. So we just go shoot a TV show or I'm going to write a kid's book. Okay. Now I published a kid's book, right? There's just like, there's plenty of ideas that we spitball and we put on the back burner and we don't make intentions around and we don't build commitments around, but we've just sort of built that self-trust that, uh, and I'm trying to like feel into it. It's sort of just like, there's just a body knowing like this is happening. And I think it's, I think it's almost in, in some ways, I feel like it's almost dangerous to try to find that point. Right. Cause I think when you're, when you're envisioning and you're creating things in, in the imaginary realm, trying to make the distinction between like, well, this is just going to be created here and this is going to be brought into reality is a tough switch to flip. So I think really when, when we create things in our mind and create things out into the universe and we're putting that energy out there, I think it all has the potential and it all has the, the desire to become real. It's what we continue to take action on and what we continue to envision that does. Yeah. Yeah. That creative impulse, that sense of drive, there's always that first like learning to embrace it and pursue it and get past the sense of resistance and restriction. And sometimes when it blows wide open, then it can also become like overcreating, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it starts to flow in so many different ideas. When you explore the vastness of it, because I know you as entrepreneurs, like you're constantly creating, you're coming up with such amazing ideas and you know, you're writing books, children's books, you're running sales departments, you're connecting people, you're coming up with programs, like you're launching a hedge fund, is it? Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. How do you know something feels right and kind of having the capacity to drive into it? Yeah, I would say that is one of Caitlin's great geniuses. Like she, I would say she's in one of the most flow states that, that I've ever seen anybody in. She gets downloads from greater consciousness, from the universe that 
uh, that are just incredibly brilliant. And we don't take action on all of them, right? I think she has probably 17 or 18 notebooks that she's filled with ideas, crazy ones, incredible ones. Like every morning she wakes up and she tells me what her dreams were from the night before. And we could almost fill a notebook every single morning. So I don't know that there's really a great, like, this is how you'll know when it's the right one, other than just feeling that intuition and really feeling into it. You can talk a little bit better, I'm sure, about it, hon. No, I mean, like, it's so funny because, yeah, for everything that we've done that's we've knocked it out of the park, there's probably nine things that we've done that failed miserably. We just don't broadcast those. (laughs) And there were a hundred things that we didn't do. there were a hundred things that we didn't even bother taking (laughs) attention on. Uh, So I do feel like there used to be this idea, like in my heart that like creativity was a finite resource and I might use it up, right? If I write a really great, I can only write one really great book. I can only write, do one really great thing. And what I've realized is the opposite is true. The muses love people who are open vessels for them to speak through. And that's really how I view creativity is stuff comes through us, not from us. So my job is just to walk around as open energetically and uh, spiritually as possible for stuff to to flow through me. And we just throw a lot of spaghetti at walls. Um, There's a great book by Seth Godin that really made a huge impact on me called What's to Do When It what to do when it's your turn and it's always your turn. And he said something like, just ship it. Like do the 10 things. Like I will get up and I will ship out 10 things out of the door before you get one thing like mapped out. Failing as fast as possible is, is the goal. Right. And so that just freed me up massively to not feel like I have to make any one thing successful. Does it occasionally disperse my energies? Sure. Uh, would we probably be ahead further financially if I wasn't constantly <laughs> trying new things and failing miserably? Sure. But at the same time, right, that's not my goal. My goal is to live a fully expressed life. So one of my deepest fears is getting to the end of my life and saying like, there were ideas, there were missions, there were things that I wanted to birth that are going to die with me. Right. So, so I am just going to keep birthing stuff. And it's not my job to make sure that all of my kids are successful. It's just my job to birth them. And then the ones that seem to be able to feed themselves and walk on their own two feet, then we pour more energy into them. But I I have a very cavalier attitude (laughs) towards birthing my creative ideas and then just allowing the universe to show up and support the ones that that are most in alignment with what I'm here to do. And I think a lot of it has to do with how you keep score, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we don't, we don't keep score by the number in our bank account. I mean, we, we've been incredibly blessed and, you know, we're, we're able to do a lot of incredible things, but there's been a poor financial. I mean, I, I think we spent like $50,000 on a TV program or a, a TV show. Nobody a, picked up <laughs> shooting a television episode called the celebrity adventure challenge. And, and it was because we just followed the muse. Right. And we did it. And we did it as big as we possibly could. Uh, it didn't turn into anything. Would we have still had $50,000 in our bank account if we hadn't done it? Probably. But the experience was incredible. Like mm-hmm. we learned so much from it uh, about ourselves. We and, and we interacted with incredible people for it. I mm-hmm. mean, the connections that we made, the people that we helped and supported through that were incredible. Uh, so, so yeah, it, a lot of it is kind of creating the game uh, and the rules for the game, how you want to play it. Yeah. And I feel like we decide our return on investment. So when we invest our time and when we invest our money, there can be things that on the surface look like failures. And I've said that word a couple of times, but quite honestly, we don't believe anything is a failure. 
it's only a learning lesson. So uh, we've invested huge dollar amounts in things, projects, mentorships, things like that, that on the surface, it doesn't look like there was a cash on cash return, but we decide the value of that. We make the meaning. We say that $50,000, we didn't get any new clients from it, but it saved our marriage, right? So that was worth it, right? So sometimes the thing you invest in, you don't get out of it what you think you're going to get out of it. But that doesn't mean that it's not serving you at the highest level. And the thing that I love about that energetically is that when you're looking for how it was successful, you're going to find those things. Oh, yeah. If you're looking for a reason to ask for a refund or you're looking for a reason that it, it was a failure, you're going to find those as well. Mm-hmm. But the universe yeah. is going to support your ideas once you've made that decision. So we make a decision. It was successful. Obviously, we got something out of it. And then you start looking and, and you find what you got out of it. The universe will show you exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, it's it's a such a key in our energy field of like, are we allowing energy to move or are we constricting it and going inverting it inward? Yeah, I was interviewing a a friend of mine. He was saying, you know, when he was in corporate America versus when he's supporting yeah. healers, you know, when somebody's coming at you just out of like that energy sucking, like, I want your attention out of my need versus when I want to give light. And that's one thing that you really helped Sarah and I with in the idea of sales is like, you can't come to somebody and expect to need and and suck inward. It's about following light, following energy and where it's actually moving. So this mindset that you're sharing of nothing is a failure. Everything is perpetually moving forward that it really is an illusion. The idea of stuck or stagnation yeah, that people get to play with. So when it comes to that other aspect, because this is one that a lot of my audience are people that are very empathic, intuitive healers and struggle a lot with sales. You know, they, mm-hmm. they really struggle a lot to connect. And I always explored that on who they are as healers and their subconscious programs of like, maybe they have an archetype that is a certain history of healers that they're not allowed to promote themselves. You know, there were deep traditions that way where they may be facing their own block, but the other side of it is kind of this old cultural concept, you know, like this old, like forties, fifties, like salesman idea that is like slimy and sleazy and you really helped us break free from that. Like what, what do you find is really the service of sale? Yeah. I think, I think a lot of healers uh, kind of and energy workers have a great understanding of energy, right? They understand the give and the take and that flowing is important, not the retention. And I think that they disassociate that knowledge and that knowing from the idea that is money and kind of a, a switch in understanding that money is energy and where money flows, right? I mean, that that is the universe supporting and giving uh, to the efforts and uh, responding to the things that they're giving out in the world. Uh, and kind of that, I, I feel like that understanding is important. What do you, what, what would you say? Hon? Oh, so many things. This is one of my favorite topics. So I think the first thing is I have come to love sales and entrepreneurship as the fastest path to enlightenment. Because you have to wrestle with your inner demons on a call-by-call basis. So 
if you have any limiting beliefs about money being finite as opposed to infinite uh, or hard to make as opposed to easy to receive, right? They're all going to come up. You're going to get objections about why people won't work with you, can't work with you. It's always a reflection of your internal limiting belief. So if you believe it, like if they believe it, they can get you to believe it, then you buy into it and then it keeps you from moving them forward. And I think so many healers think that transformation takes point after I close the deal. After I close the deal, then I can coach them. Then I can heal them. And I'm like, no, that's bullshit. Like, <laughs> forgive me. But this is where the, the decision is the point where destiny changes, right? The decision is made on the sales call. So the transformation happens in the sales conversation, right? We get sent love notes from people who are like, I've never been so clear on my vision. I've never felt so confident in my mission from the sales conversation. This is where you hold space, a sacred container for them to see bigger than they've ever seen, to identify fears deeper than they've ever admitted to themselves. And that's the transformational work. The coaching is icing on the cake, but if they're not committed, right, they're not going to take action. So your job is not to get somebody to invest in you. Your job is to get somebody to invest in themselves. And once you can make that paradigm shift and understand what sales really is, that sales is where you hold, where you take a stand for somebody and say, I'm not going to let you go back to the way that you've been living and, and allow yourself to go down. I'm going to take you where you said you wanted to go. And I'm going to believe that you can do this even when you're not sure you believe it yourself. So I think that that's really powerful to just shift your mindset and your energy around sales. And then Michael was talking about money. I believe that our religious icons, Jesus, Buddha, etc., they had to show that money is not power, that they could have the most powerful experience, human experience, without monetary uh, expression because that was the paradigm they were in. Since leaving the gold standard, money is infinite, right? We are no longer in a paradigm of scarcity. There is infinite value that can be created and therefore infinite value, which can be received. My having money doesn't mean that you have less. So the age of the penniless sage is over, right? And now we can free up our healers and we can free up our light workers and we can free up our coaches to start showing the world that it is possible to be spiritually rich and financially rich. And there's no longer a dichotomy between who you are and what you receive and like what you have. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, in my practice, we're always working with free will and <laughs> in session, the whole design of the session is really to strip away all the restrictions, the limitation of thought to open the window to the miraculous transformation. It's, I'm not healing my client. My client is instantaneously transforming themselves. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what I hear you sharing is that dynamic in a sale is where you get to authentically connect with somebody and navigate through all the same thing. It literally is like a session. You know, it literally is that time that you get to spend with somebody to help them discover their authentic path and answer their call into their mythic life in that way and help them find 
and commit to the right service. And that commitment truly is the transformation. Then all of the work afterwards really is them just experiencing the journey of it. But they really do have to answer that call. There's that one moment of transformation, right? It's that it's that moment of decision. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And this other piece that you're bringing up, I remember when you shared that with Sarah and I, when we were running into so many money issues and money beliefs, mm-hmm. you were sharing with me how no currency is backed by gold anymore. We literally are in a place where it's just digits in accounts and literally they just print it in the mm-hmm. sense of economy and world economy that we are not in that old place anymore. And that just blew me open, honestly. Like I was like, uh, uh, what am I supposed to do with this? And I started to work on myself and look at all of my beliefs around money because it really is a flow of energy, but it is not a noun. It's not its own thing. It's an action. It's a movement. And with that, everything I was running into were these personality traits within me that of like being of, oh, I I need to be of servitude or no, to make money, I, I really have to put in the work and get out and like produce something. Like I have to make a product. And my mind kept going to all these instinctive drives that were inauthentic to me that were based off when I started looking into it, like my family was from a a generation that was returned to nature and I have to provide for myself and grow my own food. And and there was this sense of like peasantry, right? Like when we think of the word peasant, they're the farmers, right? And then the other side of it was we were the lower class, middle class, we had to be of service to. And so all the servant stuff started coming up and Mm -hmm. I, I had to filter through all these things to get to a place of really having a sense of energetic movement and freedom when I would think of making money, earning money, spending money, investing in myself, because I never could really invest in receiving the service, the work. And um, that was a huge breakthrough. And it came through into this beautiful concept of these archetypes of money that I'm, I'm thrilled to share with you. And, you know, that was through an inspiration and a process that you initiated for me. It was incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. So I really credit you in that way. And, you know, and exploring this, what I also hear and know is that you continue to not just create, but receive. You're also in that place of exploring and receiving services and like doing trainings and like exploring personal development. So many people get stuck in one place and then they think, oh, that was my breakthrough and I'm going to now stay in this. When do you know that it's time to explore that next service, like to continue to grow? Yeah, great question. I feel like it's hard because we don't ever admit that anything is a failure. So sometimes we invest a lot more time and effort and money into things long after it's clear that we're supposed to get out. So last year we partnered with somebody to start a company called Book of Experts and we invested probably close to a hundred grand and a year of what felt like wasted energy 
because we just could not get the business model dialed in. We could not get the positioning right. We could not get the value ladder stacked. We couldn't give enough value to receive enough value to keep the thing going. And so finally, we we lost one partner, then we lost the other partner. We're like, no, we're committed. We're going to make this work. <laughs> and at some point, it was just like, okay, no, we're really not listening to the universe. Like the universe has been really clear that this is this is a fallow field. Like you, you're not going to get more out of this. It's time to plow it under, uh, replenish the soil, do something else and, and go a different direction. So I don't know that we're particularly great at reading the signs of when it's time to stop doing a venture, but I'm really great at noticing when doors start opening. And, and this is part of what I've been learning even just in the last six months. So I advocate, I teach a methodology called the ecstatic way. And it's the acronym, the easiest way to remember it is SALT. So surrender, align, listen, and take action. And the surrender step is sometimes the hardest piece. Just noticing that you're in a state of suffering, noticing that you're in a place of resistance because what you resist persists, right? So just stopping the fighting energy and saying, okay, hands in the air, I give up right? Um, and sometimes there are expletives involved, but we're just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, and it might be with a person, it might be with a project, but just the surrender. And then the alignment, finding your way back into the truth. I am always taken care of. I am unconditionally loved and infinitely powerful. Everything is always working out for my highest good and the highest good of all involved. Everyone is always doing the best they can with what they have and where they're at, right? Just these are the mantras that just I have to bring myself back to. And then once I'm in that state of alignment, which I recognize because it feels like gratitude, it feels like love, it feels like peace, it feels like joy. Once I'm in that state, then it's listen, right? And sometimes listening looks like taking a nap and sometimes listening looks like journaling. And sometimes right, it's just, and then we check in and say, what feels fun? What feels easy? What feels light? And then taking action, which is T. So yeah, that's been really powerful for me to kind of just check in and see where am I in resistance and how can I just stay in a flow state uh, and connected to you, to God and the universe. I absolutely love this process of, of salt. I remember the artist way where it's like you follow the path of resistance and your greatest potential is where there's the most fear. And then you're having to fight through fear and it's like to have tools, to have a process in order to shed away is such a huge key here. So like if you're just in resistance, resistance is going to persist, as you said, and the importance of surrender is so huge. And then finding those skills for aligning so that you can actually listen before taking action is a beautiful process. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. It's really powerful. I I can't wait to explore more with that and how you're going to help people really open up. I know in this next journey, you're going to be connecting and really helping a lot of healers and service people with that initial spark, like get out there and get services and programs out there. So I'm really excited about what's going to be coming through and coming up next for the two of you. Yeah. And um, who knows what country you'll be coming from next time as well. 
<laughs> yeah, we're, we're supposed to be doing uh, India and then Africa and Europe is kind of our last, our, our next 18 months as a kind of as it's planned. So we, we've learned to kind of hold it with an open hand, but that's, yeah. that's the, uh, those are the general guidelines. Absolutely. That's fun. Yeah. Sarah and I are, are getting that instinct and inspiration. We went through resettling in, like we left the city, that whole post-pandemic, during pandemic migration that happened. And yeah. and for me, it was like, oh, great. Now we're homesteading. And, you know, I love getting out there with the chainsaw and working on my land and stuff like that. But now it's like, okay, let's find a way to travel on top of it. So that's our next big journey is how to take that big step. So I, I love the inspiration from you on that as well. And, you know, for all of our listeners, for more with Caitlin and Michael, you can explore more about them at allovermap.family. And for their Instagram, it's allovermapfamily as well to follow their exciting journeys and inspirations and uh, offerings. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, thank you so much as well for all the support that Sarah and I have received from you two in our journey. We've learned so much and uh, it has helped in birthing this mythic life. So um, thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Eric. Thank you for having us. And and we've loved watching your guys' journey. It's, it's been incredible. I love the mythic life. I, I think that's uh, so fits you guys so well and, and and what you're teaching. So I love it. Yeah. Thank you. We are Mythic Life, free thinkers, deep feelers, courageous trailblazers. We own our myth with our vibes, how we think, feel, and act. We believe that love is a given, not something earned, that spiritual is sexy, kindness is cool, and earth is sacred, that everybody has superpowers, and life is too boring without magic. We walk our talk, and when life gets real, we heal. We choose our path and make it epic. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. For more on Mythic Life, you can explore us at mythiclife.com, also on Instagram and Facebook at The Mythic Life, and join the community at Mythic Life Experience Facebook group. For more insights and uh, helpful tools, you can check out our YouTube channel at Mythic Life. Episodes come out on the second and fourth Monday of the month, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.